All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. With the world leaders descending on San Francisco, city officials have taken care to clean up the streets. Hiding from the world, the poverty, the grime, and the homelessness, critics have mocked California Governor Gavin Newsom for taking this action only when the eyes of the world were upon him. This situation highlights a larger issue in the country, however. Our cities seem to be devolving into dystopian hellscapes overrun by crime and general lawlessness. What is causing all of this, and is there anything that we can do to fix it? We're talking about all this and more on episode 424 of the In the Tank podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing good. You know, doing the reading uh, necessary for this podcast today got me in a pretty sour mood. So uh, for those of you who are fans, when I get angry, uh, this is the show for you. Oh, gosh. He's got six Jim rants primed for this episode. <laughs> also joining us, we have Chris Talgo. He is the editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Doing good. Just enjoying probably the last uh, nice spell of weather here in Chicago for the next, I don't know, like seven months. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's enjoy this, gentlemen. Yes. Yeah, it's not too bad out. It's not too bad out right now. Jim, uh, we've got some special guests in the in the in the office um clearly that's why you're dressed up uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. explain that to to our audience that might be interested yeah well we we have a film crew from uh a news network in france uh that was in the united states and what and they're doing a uh i think they're doing a special on climate change and they are interviewing uh heartland institute president james taylor in our uh, event space uh momentarily but i am very dedicated to this podcast so i told james that he's on his own <laughs> and he can handle himself uh but yeah it's uh it, it's going to be interesting we are are of course recording the entire interview our, ourselves um because as often happens when we are interviewed by big media uh, we are taken out of context or uh, made to look bad um, you know, we don't get the kind of treatment that the climate alarmist side gets. Uh, they get glowing profiles everywhere they go. So mm. uh, should be interesting. Um, you know, uh, they what's what's actually what's fun about well, not fun, but what's interesting about dealing with the media uh, is that they always smile and they always assure you that it's going to be fair. And look, we just want your side of the story. And um, ninety nine percent of the time, it's a lie. So uh, <laughs> I'm always, oh. um, you know, we just we t we tell the truth. Uh, we we come at this with uh, you know, uh, no no hidden agendas. But uh, we will see if uh, if the media in France is as corrupt and bad as the media is in the United States. Very That's interesting. I'm actually curious to see. I was under the impression that it was a very friendly outfit that was coming. You know, I, I assumed that this was like, uh, oh, yeah, these are friends from, uh, you know, come to our conference and all of that. I didn't know that it was a potential hostile interview that we're getting set up for. 
isn't that a isn't that part of the isn't that a line from the uh from the godfather it's like um when they come for you they'll come to you uh, as a friend and mm. then they'll stab you and so that's <laughs> the gotcha. rules of the godfather father applied to the rules of dealing with major media so uh, that's kind Ho of hope for the best plan for the worst something like that right 100 percent um right 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 so we got a lot to talk about uh, a couple of uh you know issues that are in the news kind of a larger topic of just the state of our cities in this country and i also have a very important davos watch segment uh at the end of the episode and justin haskins is not on this episode so we should have plenty of time to get to that so it's <laughs> not going to be cut i promise you i promise you but before we get into any of our main topics, I do have to put that message out there to all of our listeners, especially those audio ones that are probably catching the show on a Friday or later. First of all, why don't you write a review for us on iTunes? It'd be greatly appreciated. But also, you can join our show a day earlier at noon central time on Thursdays, where we are live streaming on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and YouTube. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll Show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You can also support the show by by uh, using that super chat function that we have enabled, where you can pretty much guarantee that your comment or question will be read right on the air. Or if you want to help us out by not spending a penny, but spending just a couple of seconds hitting that like button, subscribing to the channel if you haven't already, sharing this content, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. With that out of the way... Let's get to our main topic. So there are a uh, there are actually a couple of international conferences taking place in San Francisco this week. Uh, you have the World Economic Forum is hosting an AI governance summit, which I've been keeping an eye on. In fact, uh, the content of that kind of relates to the previous week's Davos Watch segment that we did. So if you haven't seen that, we have it cut separately, released on the Heartland Institute main channel. You can go and check that out. But also they have APEC, which is the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. And because of these events, San Francisco is going to be visited by hundreds of influential people, political leaders, and industry titans. And it's become a bit of a viral joke lately, especially in the kind of the right of center community that, um, that uh, you know, people started to notice that the city was kind of putting on airs a bit of doing a bit of cleaning up the streets and sidewalks and uh you know which is really saying something considering san francisco has become notorious over the past i don't know several years decades maybe for having streets and sidewalks literally covered in homeless people drug paraphernalia and actual human feces so you know to clean up all of that in a short period of time is quite an undertaking san francisco america's outhouse i like it <laughs> yeah so critics and residents of san francisco have been voicing their concerns to uh california governor gavin newsom saying what so the, the, the city's a complete pigsty every other day of the year, but as soon as some high-profile guests come to town, then what? You clean it up? To which Gavin Newsom had some pretty honest reactions. So we have a couple of clips of Gavin Newsom responding to such criticisms. Let's go ahead and play those if we have them teed up. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true because it's true. But it's also true, for months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. Anytime you put on an event, by definition, you know, you have people over your house, 
you're going to clean up the house. You have 21 world leaders. You've got tens of thousands of people coming from all uh, around the globe. Uh, what an opportunity to showcase the world's most extraordinary place, San Francisco. Yeah, see, I don't think that would, that answer would fly for, like, my mom. If I was having, like, friends over and I was frantically trying to clean up my room or something, she'd be like, oh, what? So every other day you leave it dirty and socks all over the place, but because you got friends over? No, you're going to keep your room clean. <laughs> I think that's what her response would be. But So I, I, I'm going to start with Chris on this one. Uh, what do you say about Newsom and the city of San Francisco cleaning up the city for the sole purpose of trying to not look like a disaster when VIPs are coming to town? I think it symbolizes uh, the contempt that they have for the residents of San Francisco because basically they're giving them the finger 364 days out of the year. And then the one day out of the year that some uh, high profile leaders like, you know, Xi Jinping and you know, President Biden come to town, what do they do? They go, they go on a massive, you know, deep cleaning campaign. They were power washing the streets. They were trying to get rid of uh, some of the graffiti. Like you said, they, they uh, you know, destroyed all those homeless encampments and they put those uh, homeless people, or I guess as Joe Biden calls them, like people who lack housing uh, in uh, temporary shelters. And as soon as this uh, APEC summit and as soon as the uh, other uh, meetings, uh, you know, end, I guarantee you within a week, it's going to go look right back to how it was beforehand. So yeah, this is just such like a temporary, you know, a superficial, uh, you know, thing that they're doing, but I think it, uh, it, it, it embodies, you know, their governing, uh, you know, uh, philosophy of when, you know, when, when other people come into town, we're going to try to make it look good. But, you know, when, when it's just our ordinary residents are complaining about this kind of stuff, well, then we just don't care. Yeah, it's, I mean, at least he was just kind of being blunt about it. You know, he didn't try to like, oh, no, this is actually part of some new thing. It just coincidentally just kind of lines up when world leaders are coming. He was just like, no, yeah, people are coming to town. So, uh, you know, we're going to clean it up. Jim, what's your reaction to good old Gavin Newsom? Well, on, on the screen here, Andy is uh, is is showing pictures of what San Francisco normally looks like. And it looks like a shithole. Um, I'm going to try to keep my swearing down to no more than five curse words uh, in this in this segment. All right. That's one. <laughs> that's one. All right. Yeah. We'll keep the tally. Uh, what he's I wouldn't want to live there, but imagine that you are a, a uh, law abiding taxpaying citizen of the city of San Francisco and you live. And, and you have to spend your days walking to the market and making sure you don't step on um, a passed out um, drug addict. On you, you have to make sure you don't you don't step on human feces. I bet they ticket you if you don't curb your dog, if you don't pick up the poop of your dog. But they apparently don't uh, issue any tickets if you just take a dump right there on the street. So that's fine. And so you live in this place that is a complete dystopian hellhole, and the the state and the city has no interest in cleaning it up for you. They have no interest in making sure that you live day to day in what is really a beautiful city when it is not um, run by absolute maniac leftists, Marxists, as it is now, that allow all this stuff to go on. And so, yeah, if I was a citizen of San Francisco, I would be quite mad. And I, But, you know, you get what you vote for. Um, London Breed, I believe, is the mayor of San Francisco. She could have cleaned all this up. Um, you know, for months, we're told that there's nothing we can do. There are, there are tent cities 
And as Andy keeps showing these pictures, there, there are streets that if they're not littered with garbage, they're littered with tents and garbage. So you have homeless people living in their own filth that on the public streets. And we are told by the left and by certainly by uh, the mayor of, of San Francisco and the governor of California, that this is an intractable problem, that we need to do something. We need more funding. We need more funding to handle the homeless problem and the fact that our cities are dystopian hellholes. Well, what do you know? Without any extra funds, the entire city gets cleaned up because Gavin Newsom's boss, Xi Jinping, is coming. You know, so you got to make sure that the house looks nice when the boss is coming over for dinner. I mean, it's just absurd. And, and the reason we're we're taking this on is we want to have a larger discussion about what it says about our society when our cities are increasingly becoming crime-ridden, dystopian shitholes. Okay, that's two. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, this is third world living in the wealthiest country on earth. And um, suppose, again, supposedly they say there's really nothing we can do about it. We need more money. We need more funding. We need more programs. No, you don't. You just need to clean the, the stuff up and get the homeless people out and somewhere else. Um, you know, I'm reminded I was born in New York City and I lived there until I was eight years old. This was in the 1970s. So I moved out in 1978. Um Movies like Death Wish were made about contemporary New York City at that time. Um, the, the, it was covered in graffiti. It was covered in filth. It was, crime was through the roof. And so you could do a movie that was realistic about 1970s New York. And the 1980s were hardly any better. And then somebody by the name of Rudy Giuliani got elected mayor of New York City. I believe it was 1992, but in the early 90s. And he was called racist. He was called a monster. He was called all these names. And he said, I don't care. I'm cleaning up this city. And he did. It's possible to have a, a clean, livable, big city in this country if you have the will to do it. And obviously, the, the people who run our cities today, including the city of Chicago, have no interest in making it livable for normal people. And um, I'm, I'm, I have a few ideas about their motivation. But, you know, it's funny. When, if you ever watch a movie set in New York City, or filmed in New York City, like Ghostbusters, for instance. I believe, you know, if you if you watch, look in the background of Ghostbusters, look at, um, uh, I think, trading, uh, trading Places is that way as well. If you see anybody on the subway, there's graffiti. It's filthy. There's graffiti everywhere. And then if you watch a film that, if you watch a movie that was filmed in New York City, say, after 1995, it's, a, it's like it's a completely different place. Because all the graffiti is gone, all the subways are clean, <laughs> all the subway cars are clean. Yeah, and I think um, of, I think know. of the warriors, right? The warriors, yeah, yeah exactly, right, nonstop, yeah. yeah. yeah we so outnumber can, the cops can, ten to one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But you could date a film that's filmed in New York just based on on how filthy the city looks at the time. So I don't know. It's um, I, it's hard to maintain civilization as a whole when you allow what should be the jewels of your civilization to turn into uh you know complete dystopian nightmares and it's um it's you know frankly it's high time that americans uh, demand better of the people that rule them um and not have to wait for uh the leader of china to show up for uh, stuff to get fixed yeah and chris you wrote an op-ed about all of this uh, in the american thinker and there was one paragraph that i that particularly stood out to me you said san francisco for instance has spent 40.8 billion dollars in climate mitigation efforts <laughs> over the past five years in the meantime it spends only 16 million dollars per year on its entire streets and sanitation department 
So it's like, it's not like the money's not there. It's just that, uh, you know, to clean up all of this stuff. It's just that it's way wildly disproportionate in, in uh, trying to, you know, tackle the climate change issue. Then there's poop on the ground. <laughs> what, what, what's your take on all of this? I think, you know, one of the, the primary functions of government is to uh, prioritize. And this just uh, goes to show that they prioritize uh, climate, you know, mitigation efforts, which are, you know, we're talking uh, installing solar panels, installing, you know, wind turbines, just like, you know, retrofitting buildings, just all this, you know, garbage. But then, you know, when it really comes down to, uh, you know, just maintaining an orderly society and maintaining, you know, clean streets and clean sidewalks so that, you know, people can walk on them and, you know, feel, you know, safe and just feel good about their surroundings, they do not they, they, they do not want to put, you know, one one tenth, one one hundredth of the, the money that they are using for their uh, climate change, you know, social justice uh, initiatives. So, you know, I think if you look at the San Francisco budget, and I think this also rings true for almost every other major, uh, you know, big city run by uh, Democrats. Uh, we see that they are spending lots of money on, uh, you know, social justice issues, climate mitigation issues, all sorts of things. But then when it comes to spending money on things that actually matter, like, you know, policing the streets or cleaning the streets, they uh, fall uh, very, very, very short. And I think that uh, for most most people who live in these cities, I think that uh, they would, you know, love if the city uh, government would say, you know what, we're going to prioritize just cleaning up this place. And I think that that rings true for across the nation too. Um, you know, I think, I think this is, this problem uh, is primarily in the big cities, but I think that it also is in the suburbs and some of the more rural areas too. Uh, you know, whenever you drive on a highway and you just look, you know, on the, you know, median or on the shoulders, I just am always shocked at how much garbage and filth and litter there is outside, you know, these, uh, you know, these public roadways. And I think that uh, that just goes to show that, you know, we spend a lot of money on department of transportation and I don't understand how we can't uh, spend, you know, some of that money, just make sure that our roadways are constantly clean. Um, but it just, it, 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 it's very frustrating because these, you know, people who run these cities, whether it's, uh, you know, Mayor London Breed or Mayor Brendan Johnson or, you know, whomever we're talking about, Eric Adams in uh, New York just goes to show that they don't care. They don't care, you know, about, you know, having a nice, you know, pleasant looking uh, atmosphere for their residents. And I know that some people say, oh, well, does that really matter all that much? And I think that does. I think it's depressing when you're constantly looking out at your surroundings and just seeing garbage and junk and, you know, feces on the sidewalk. Like it's, it, it is depressing. So I, yeah. I I wish that they I wish that they would say, you know what, we have a lot of money that we're spending on on stuff that is, you know, really not necessary. And I, I would be and Donnie, I've told you this before, I would be so in favor of a nationwide effort. I would love it if it would happen at the local, the state level and the uh, federal level, like a, a national beautification and cleanup of this country. I would be so in favor of that. And I think that that really is uh, an environmental uh, policy. Yeah, the, it feels like this story is not even just a one-off anymore. Like it seems like it's almost becoming commonplace. Uh, just based off, uh, you know, Chris and I were kind of talking about the topics that we were going to cover on the podcast just yesterday, and a, a couple of examples just immediately popped to mind. 
Seattle during the recent MLB All-Star game. They shoot all the homeless people away so that the viewers and people visiting the stadium wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't see anything like that going on. Or when Biden went to a border town, I think it was like El Paso or something. Authorities made sure to kind of clean up everything to, uh, again, kind of present an inauthentic presentation of what reality is down there. And it's like with all of those examples, and I'm sure there's a couple of more that I'm just forgetting. Like it just reminds me of like the story of um, you know, like the government of North Korea when it allows guests into their country. And instead of allowing them to see the real country, they they take them down as like a fake street with some like fake buildings and a fake grocery store that's filled with a whole variety of foods to make it look like their country wasn't a failed communist state. And and Jim, all of these stories that I'm referencing, you know, are just in the past couple of years. Like prior to that, do you recall any stories like this? Like, is this something that dates back like way further than than I'm giving it credit for, or what? No, I don't know. I mean, I think it's safe to say that San Francisco is a failed communist state. I mean, <laughs> it just goes oh. to show that communism leads to misery uh, in in many ways. Yeah, you know, I think I think one of the problems is uh, I think the the goal of social justice and having clean streets and a um, and you know it's it's not they're not compatible. Running a uh, competently running a city and social justice don't can't can't coexist. It seems because so many of these places that are dystopian hellholes are dedicated. Uh, their leaders talk nothing but social justice. I've really I'm not even quite sure what social justice means, other than if there's something good or nice in the world, it must be destroyed. I mean, maybe that's not the definition, but it sure seems to be the result because everywhere that um, leftists and commies um, take control of cities. And again, can you name, I don't think, I, I don't think you could name a single Republican because there aren't any, any uh, there, there's not a Republican or a not, let's just say not even Republican. There's just, there's not a, there's not a non-leftist who is a mayor or in charge of any major city in this country. Um, I, I believe, you know, you see once in a while on Twitter or other places on social media, people share charts and graphs and it'll show the crime rates. And um, and then it'll say, you know, who the mayor is and what party they belong to. And I think the maybe the biggest city of oh, actually, was it the city of in Texas? I think was it Dallas or Fort Worth? Um, they have a they may have a Republican mayor now because the mayor changed his party affiliation, but he was elected as a Democrat. But besides that, I think maybe the largest city with a Republican mayor might be something like San Antonio or something. Anyway, somewhere like 30th on the list. And when the when the Democrat Party has so fully embraced um, so-called social justice and leftism and wokeism, um, this is what you end up getting because that um, that political philosophy, that outlook on life, is not compatible with um, creating space and a society that is pleasant for normal people. And, and the people that suffer the most from the, again, when Andy was showing those pictures, and we're going to get into this a little bit in more detail here soon, but the people suffering the most with um, people completely zombied out on drugs and people living in tents on the street and people defecating on the sidewalks, the people that suffer the most are those people. If you want to help those people, you need to get them off the streets. Um, but in too many of our cities, that's considered, maybe it's considered racist, maybe it's considered classist, 
Um, and it's certainly considered not compatible with whatever social justice is supposed to be. Hey, yeah. Donnie, can I, can I just chime in real quick? Uh, I, you know, I, I do think that we are putting all the onus on uh, the, the government for cleaning up this problem. But remember that the government's not necessarily creating this problem. This is irresponsible citizens who are doing this. And this is, you know, something that I think has gotten worse in recent years. When I was a kid, and I mean, I know that we all have a tendency to kind of like, you know, glorify, you know, like when I was a kid kind of stuff. But when I was a kid, I swear that like littering was kind of like a, like, you know, like, like a taboo. Like it was a no-no. It's like if, if you saw people littering, it was like, what are you doing there? Now I think littering is almost just like kind of like commonly accepted. And, you know, I, I, I understand that it is it's, it's way worse in, you know, in, in big cities. But I think that that's also, you know, a reflection on those people. If those people are willing to do that, it's, it's not like the, the litter and trash and graffiti just appears out of like thin air and the government's refusing to clean it up. People are actually doing it. And, you know, uh, even well, in, that, in, that I think that kind of goes. I, I think you're right largely, but I think that kind of goes to that like concept of that uh, kind of that broken window policy of that um, Giuliani kind of age. But it's just like, you know, one broken window and then that kind of gives like just the the, the camel's nose under the tent to allows other people to kind of think it's OK or like but, you kind but, of see but, the, the descent of it. And it's just like if you're walking down the street and you see just piles of garbage, it's like uh, this little scrap of paper in my hand, like this isn't going to do anything. I'm just going to throw it on the ground. <laughs> you know, like I feel like it's it kind of uh, begets like more and more kind of uh, kind of uh, just accepting it almost. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand that. But what, I, what I'm just trying to say is that I think, uh, you know, I, I'm really just kind of hyper focusing on like the, the the litter part of this right now. And I know that we're talking about like other issues, but I can't tell you how many times I see people just throwing stuff out there, you know, car window when I'm driving on the street or, you know, when, you know, when they're in a parking lot, just, you know, unwrapping something and just tossing it on the ground, whether it's, you know, yeah. like food and stuff. And I have a couple of times gone up to that person being like, hey, what are you doing? And then it's all like they, most of the time they're like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. And it's just like, yes, you did. You just you just <laughs> tossed that on the street. Well, so like, what so, if everyone were just just constantly act like that? I mean, come on, grow up, be an adult, be responsible. This is like, you know, like pretty, pretty basic stuff. When, when, you know, trash belongs in trash cans, it doesn't just belong on, you know, the, the side of the road or, you know, in, in, in a parking lot or wherever. It's just, yeah, I, I want, I want to get, I want to get deeper into the underlying problems going on in San Francisco and, and most other cities in the United States. But there's one more video that I want, uh, that I want all of you to watch. Uh, so one of the guests that's attending the APEC summit is the glorious leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping. Biden met with him to potentially reset relations between the United States and China. But there is a video of Xi Jinping's motorcade arriving to the conference. If we have that clip, let's go ahead and play it uh, because it's kind of alarming, I might say. For the audio-only listeners, you don't have to listen to the music. For the audio-only listeners, is the motorcade going down the streets of San Francisco, and the streets are lined with people waving Chinese communist flags just from one end to the other. Uh, if I'm not exaggerating, there's probably, I don't know, 150 people, maybe 200 people tops or something, but there's got to be like... 
15 to 20 brand new Chinese flags waving down the streets there. And uh, I mean, just like, hey, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I want the viewers to chime in. I'm very curious of what you think's going on here. Like, are these like Chinese Americans showing up to kind of show their pride of the president of China arriving in San Francisco? Are these paid stooges waving flags so that the Chinese government can use the footage in their propaganda videos back home? Or are these just sad, pathetic liberals praising a more collectivist nation than the United States? I'm very curious of what you think is going on there. But uh, Jim, I'm curious of what you think specifically. Well, I, I see this and I think, you know, hey, Gavin, dad's home. Daddy's home. Come on over and say hi. Give him a hug, you know. <laughs> and so you bring out all the uh, you, you put all the pomp and circumstance um, for the for the leader of China. You know, these are the same people who, uh, if Trump was to show up, uh, would be spitting on the ground and, and throwing up the finger and stuff like that. But here you see a display in the United States of America, as one of our viewers here said, you know, it's a disgusting display for a for a murderous dictator. And uh, that's what Xi Jinping is. Um, uh, you know, we, we talk about, we try to talk about human rights. Now, look, you, the APEC, uh, this conference is going to happen and it, it rotates around the world. It just happens to be in the United States right now. Normalizing or having, you know, frankly, I guess, good relations with China is not um, necessarily, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's better than having bad relations with China, but they are... Um, Basically, the United States, well, as they say, chief rival on the global stage and a potential, if not outright, um, current enemy of the United States. They're not just working against um, our interests around the world. Um, you know, I think they're they're working, um, you know, the, the, their hands are in a lot of stuff. I mean, just just digitally. I mean, how many how many stories do you see of China and which is basically the Communist Chinese Party government um, conducting serious digital espionage against the United States. Um, one of the things, and when you, when you see this, actually, just to wrap it up, one thing that kind of always annoys me when, when you think about China and its rise uh, to as a global power is that they get, they, they got that way basically by stealing everything from the United States, literally stealing our technology. Um, and, and uh, you know, they're spies of, of, for China all over the United States. And so um, I'm not saying you shun them or, or they can't come to the, to the conference, but you don't do this. You don't do this. This is whoa, whoa, just whoa. Disgusting. Yeah. Enemies until Biden resets the relationship. Don't you have any faith in a president of the United States? Surely his meeting with him went perfect and they're going to be best of friends and the United States and China are going to be best of allies. I mean, I have faith in Joe Biden. It doesn't seem like you do. But uh, Chris, I mean regardless of the answer of what's going on in the streets there paid stooges you know just brainwashed people whatever it might be like do you even think it's possible that you would ever see the streets of san francisco lined with people waving american flags in this day and age like i think that would be even more surprising than the video that i just showed what do you think I would be shocked and appalled if I were to see uh, the streets lined with American flags and patriotic, uh, you know, people waving them. But, uh, you know, I don't I think that most of the people who live in America who who came from China would not, you know, uh, you know, support this. So it makes me uh, definitely think that this is uh, people who have no idea what is really going on in China and 
uh, they were just told to do so. Maybe they're paid. Who knows? But I do not think that these are actual like, you know, Chinese nationals who are there to greet their leader who they miss so dearly. It's just that's just, you know, does not pass the smell test. Sorry. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't put it past, uh, you know, then like the Chinese government reaching out to the families of people that live in the San Francisco area and be like, mm. you tell your relatives to wave a flag when Xi Jinping, <laughs> like, I wouldn't put anything past them. I think it's probably easier just to pay off some people. Here's your flag in the mail. Make sure you're waving it. I don't know. But uh, I just it was bizarre to see that somebody in a, a comment of one of the videos that I saw was like, this looks like some man in the high castle type of stuff going on in San Francisco. But well, I. I, I can give you a, like a personal anecdote. Uh, you know, my parents did adopt a girl from China. Uh, we got her when she was, you know, in, uh, you know, like her uh, probably like seven or eight years old. And, um, you know, she grew up in China, lived in an orphanage for many, many years. And, uh, you know, we, we've, we've asked her, like, would you ever want to go back and visit? Would you ever? It's like she wants nothing to do. She said it was just terrible. She, you know, was forced to, you know, read the little red book and just on and on and on. Um, you know, the, the conditions were deplorable and, uh, she wants nothing to do with China. She is so grateful that she's in the United States. And, um, I think that that is much more the norm for people who have, uh, fled China, uh, than people who are, uh, in the United States, you know, uh, saying, oh gosh, China's so great. You know, you know let's be more like them. I highly doubt that that <laughs> yeah. is the case. Yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit more about uh, kind of the state of our cities and all of that. And it's like, did they did they really clean up San Francisco in a comprehensive way? Because like, I feel like nothing, you know, has been fundamentally fixed. This is just a temporary sweeping everything under the rug. As soon as the last VIP jets take off, the streets and sidewalks will once again be filled with open air drug use, rampant vagrancy, and open air toilet use so, so I, and the problem isn't just confined to san francisco i know that's kind of getting the attention but like you can go and look at basically every major city across the united states uh, one of the articles that i have in the show notes is specifically talking about washington dc and how much of a nightmare it is and how carjackings are up over a hundred percent over just one year ago 70% of high schoolers are reportedly chronically absent, just completely abandoned the public school system. Violent crime is up 40%. There's a, a, a bunch of stories kind of going, uh, going around because I was looking up some stuff about this. Uh, just in the past couple of months, suggesting that in the first half of this year, there's actually been a drop in murders in major cities from the previous years. But those stories have usually leave out the fact that the previous year that they're comparing it to rates were far higher than just the years like during and previous to the, the pandemic. Retail theft is way up. I mean, you you can talk about, uh, you know, uh, different stores, Walgreens and Walmarts pulling out of these big cities because it's just basically like as long as you're stealing nine hundred and ninety nine dollars worth of stuff or less, no one's going to follow you out the door. So all of that drug use way up, you know, a lot of these like decriminalizing drugs, uh, you know, like, you know, in principle, libertarian, you know, you can obviously see where they're coming from, but like following it up with no sort of, uh, you know, help or or uh, you know anything like that is just resulting in like uh we've got a video maybe if you want to show this one just kind of in the background we don't need the noise but in philadelphia there's like a whole section of the philadelphia called like kensington which is just like an open air 
you know, fentanyl using area where just people are literally just walking around like zombies. And was the government or police do anything about it? Nope, nope. That's just kind of policy in that uh, in that city. But again, like across all of these different cities, you kind of see very similar things going on. And there's this idea that like, and th this is the, the the Federalist article that's in the show notes. They're trying to combat this idea in that article that like the left is like in denial that there's an issue here. And they try to write off all of this, this whole conversation that we're having about this. They would write this off as just like right wing scaremongering that we're trying to make it look like the cities are horrible cesspools. And in reality, they're great. And all of this video that we're showing here, that's pff, don't believe your lying eyes. You know, that that's just crazy talk. But I mean, Jim, what is the reality here? I mean, uh, is right wing media that we're contributing to right now just painting this up to be way worse than it actually is? Or is the left just in denial of the actual effects of the policies that they're putting into place? I don't know. I don't understand why the left would be in denial about what is obvious and you see it these videos it's it, these videos are not lying to you this is not taken out of context these are people you could just on a random day walk down to kensington in philadelphia and see this um when when i, I lived in southern california for five years um uh, as i started to come so I, I lived in southern california from 2005 to 2010 and uh you would see that you would if you went downtown um you know, Skid Row is an actual place that they call it in in uh, in downtown Los Angeles, and I would see Skid Row actually grow as a neighborhood, right? And it was it used to be on one block, and then you would see that it would be on two or three blocks, and it was well known that that's just not a place that it's safe to be, even in the middle of the day. Um, as these videos that we're rolling here show, um, they're they're interviewing the actual um, addicts and drug users, and they say, yeah, we. Um, uh, the cops are right across the street and we're doing drugs out in the open and it's fine. They don't know when it gets arrested. Um, drug deals happening right there in front of the cops. Nothing is done. Um, and this is it, this is getting worse. And the liberals are in, you know, the, the lefties who run these cities are, I guess, as you say, Donnie, in denial because um, they they pretend that you can defund the police. After the summer of love in 2020, it was um, uh, all the rage to defund the police and to use that money on uh, social programs that are more helpful to the people than, uh, than arresting um, people and cleaning up the streets um, by getting uh, people that shouldn't be living on the streets off the streets. Um, you know, people are dying on the streets from fentanyl. And again, boy, there's the China connection, right? That's where all the fentanyl is coming from uh, across an open border. So, you know, I don't know how anybody on the left can be in denial of to what, uh, to what, Marxist, communist, what we try to call leftist or liberal policies in this country lead to. This is what it leads to. I, um, I don't even understand. Not good for the people that it's happening to either. This they, they're, 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 they're the people, as annoying as it may be, to be a wealthy taxpayer in San Francisco and have to walk around um, zombified out uh, people on, on, uh, on fentanyl on your way to, to Starbucks and, and try to avoid st stepping in human feces. The people that are the worst off, that might be annoying to a wealthy person who will go up to his to his brownstone and 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 tuck his kids at, uh, in at night. It's these people on the streets that are suffering the most. And um, we're showing here on the screen, um, I guess, clips from an upcoming documentary by by Michael Schellenberger, who is a fantastic, um, honest, old fashioned liberal that 
you know, it, it's maybe we'll play the audio for it too, but it's, it's like, you know, the, these people in the streets know that, you know, this is unprecedented. You know, they just showed a clip of the guy. He's, he's, I've been in this game 30 years. I've never seen it this bad. <laughs> now, congrats to that guy for being on in the game on the streets for 30 years. I don't think most people make it that long, but um, th this is a choice that the left has made. This is not, um, this didn't just happen. These policies were put in place and these are the results. And uh, I think we're starting to see a growing movement of holding um, the people that put these, um, who created this hellscape, account for it. Yeah, I don't even know what the like point of the right wing scaremongering would be. Like, <laughs> what 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 would be in it for the right to like you know play this up or something like that? Other than to just like look make blue cities look bad or something. It's like the result of us causing a stir about it would be them cleaning it up and kind of getting it under control. Oh, what a right wing conspiracy! You know, call. Call call the cops on that one. It just seems so bizarre. But Chris, you've written about uh, this whole issue. In fact, like you've been talking about wanting to do an episode on this for a while, and and finally, this is a kind of a really good reason to do it. But like, in your opinion, what is kind of the major factors that are causing this? I mean, is it moral decay? Is it just leftist control over cities? Is it socioeconomic problems? I mean. I think that uh, you could probably paint a pretty good case that, you know, the political system from the mayors to attorneys general that are actively working not to prosecute criminals. I mean, we've talked about some of the campaigns funded by George Soros to install attorneys generals in major cities across the country that are carrying out this agenda, basically. So I don't know. What do, what do you think? Is it a collection of all those things? Take it away. I, I think there's many factors that go into this. And I think one of them that doesn't get talked about nearly enough is the fact that in the 1950s and 1960s, you know, we did away with uh, asylums. So I think a lot of these people, yes, they're drug addicts, but a lot of them have pretty severe mental illnesses who need help. And unfortunately, the places that they used to get help have all been closed down for, you know, many, many reasons, some of them legitimate reasons, but also some of them, I think, you know, naive reasons. So I think that's one aspect of it. Then the other main aspect of it is that uh, many of these blue cities, and especially in states like California, have made, uh, you know, it, have, have made it possible for people to, you know, live this kind of existence um, and do it somewhat comfortably. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, government, um, you know, handouts to them. Uh, there's, you know, clean needle programs. There's all sorts of programs that are intended and policies to make these people's lives as comfortable as possible. And it, I think that it's, you know, it, it, it it's very, very, uh, you know, bad in the long term because all you're doing is enabling, you know, more and more of this kind of behavior. So, yes, this is not a easy solution. It's not it's not just about cleaning the streets. It's not just about, you know, cleaning the graffiti. It's about, Daniel, like you said, what is driving this sort of behavior in the first place? A lot of it's, you know, a cultural decay. A lot of it's, uh, you know, uh, th th this, this notion that just, and this goes back to the 1960s, and I think Jim, you know, can, can uh, attest to this, that, that, that notion of just do what feels good. Just do it. And if it feels good, just do it. And who cares about the consequences of that? And I think that that has, you know, uh, taken taken hold in you know certain you know parts of the country especially in these kind of big cities and the fact that there's no accountability the fact that there are no repercussions if you do this kind of stuff all you're going to do is get more of it so i i 
I, you know, the the origins, you know, there there's many factors that are coming into play here. Um, but I think, you know, the overall solution that's lacking is just holding the holding these people accountable. And it's, yeah. you know, it's not just about putting them in jail, but it's, it's, it's about, you know, even teaching in, in schools, like, you know, civic duty and all that kind of stuff. In that article I wrote about, you know, Earth Day, when I was in school, we learned about Earth Day. It's about taking care of the earth. It's about cleaning up, you know, your, your, your neighborhood. Kids are not learning that anymore because they're learning about this, you know, climate change alarmism stuff. Yeah, you know, okay, so full transparency, I was ready to end this segment talking about just the terrible nightmare hellscapes that our cities are descending into. And then Jim says, before you get to Davos watch, and I have a lot to say about that WEF clip, I have some good news on how our dystopian cities might be turning around. So because Jim is rarely a beacon of hope when it comes to leftist hellscapes, the floor is yours, sir. He's a lion, dog-faced pony, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, there's actually a little bit of a flicker of hope, and I saw that, uh, I saw this this morning. Um, there's an editorial on this in the Wall Street Journal um, noting that uh, voters in Seattle just dumped uh, four anti-police members of their city council. And so now non-radical leftists hold a slim majority on the city council in the uh, in the city of Seattle, a city, mind you, that had an autonomous zone during the summer of love <laughs> that was run by anarchists. And they just let that happen. What had that long to go on, Donnie, like several weeks, if not a couple months. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a while. Yeah. And so uh, but the people that went down to defeat were all the people who, who you know, uh, cut the police force, who opposed uh, prosecuting open drug use and uh, and stuff like that and other destructive measures um, uh, that are that are sold as compassion. It's compassionate to allow uh, <laughs> to allow crime to, to go to happen in your city, I guess. Um, and at that time, when 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 radical anti-cop, um, anti-public order uh, leftists won in Seattle, um to, to defund the police, 600 cops quit. Uh, and, and, and actually the police force in Seattle is at its lowest level since 1991. And you may have actually seen the news. I think it was two weeks ago that Jeff Bezos announced that he's moving the headquarters of Amazon from his beloved Seattle to Miami, Miami, oh, wow. I believe Republican governor who was running for president for about 20 minutes, but, uh, so just, just coincidental there. It's not run by radical leftists. Miami is not run by radical leftists. So, um, you know, so, so and so this is this is good news i think even even if the people that they're electing to office in seattle are still way to the left of anybody that you know we might support um they're starting to turn out these completely radical commies that are running their cities that want to that have turned them into these hell holes so that is the little, little glimmer of hope that at least in seattle things might be turning around well, all right. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting story. I, I, just 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 one last little thing, and and also the fact that so many people are leaving the cities and you know escaping them for you know like Jeff Bezos for places that aren't like that. I think that just it, if they lose their tax base, I think that's going to be a, a you know a big hit to them. So hopefully that will maybe you know cause them to turn uh, turn around a little bit. We will see. We will see. But um, we've got some time. Like I said, like I promised we would, I have this is a very important episode of Davos Watch. So I, I want everyone to definitely pay attention. And uh, I'm, I'm very curious of what your thoughts are after this. But if we have that buffer music, let's hit it up.
All right, welcome to episode seven of Davos Watch, where we keep an eye on the global elites from Davos to the UN and all the other advocates of global fascism and totalitarian technocracy. This week, I wanted to highlight a larger concept that I think might help contextualize a lot of the elements in of the worldviews that come out of the Davos and World Economic Forum and the political elite realm. And that is the concept of free will. So free will, it's a foundational concept that underpins the very foundations of Western society, free markets, individual liberty. People are free to make choices for themselves. And based on those choices, they either reap the benefits or suffer the consequences. And not only that, but generally have only themselves to blame or credit for those benefits or consequences. This is a fundamental aspect of capitalism and the aim of the American Revolution or limited government advocates today is to reduce coercion from the government that might dictate somebody's decisions or curtail their free will. So, what I want to do is introduce you to a concept that is the cornerstone of the wannabe central planners of the World Economic Forum. So I want to introduce to you, if you haven't seen this man already, to Yuval Harari. Yuval Harari is a historian, an author, an advisor to the World Economic Forum, and I believe the intellectual guru of the entire Davos crowd. So what I have is a probably a minute and a half long clip of Yuval Harari discussing a couple of things, including the concept of free will. So if we have that video queued up, let's go ahead and play Mr. Yuval Harari. But some gov governments and corporations, for the first time in history, have the power to basically hack human beings. There is a lot of talk about hacking computers, hacking smartphones, hacking bank accounts. But the big story of our era is the ability to hack human beings. And by this I mean that if you have enough data and you have enough computing power, you can understand people better than they understand themselves. Mm -hmm. And then you can manipulate them in ways which were previously impossible. Mm -hmm. And in such a situation, the old democratic system stopped functioning. We need to reinvent democracy for this new era in which humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. We need to come to terms with the fact that, you know what, again, it, this is where philosophy meets computer science and biology. Yeah, so there is a there is a lot in that video to unpack, but I just want to kind of focus like a laser on just the the one statement that he made of the idea of free will that is over, he says. That is over. And I just want to say that yes, this was a minute and a half long clip. There's other clips of this specific thing of him talking about free will that's only like 15 seconds. I didn't want to play that one because I feel like the, you know, playing a clip that short you kind of raise the potential of people saying, oh, it's out of context. That's out of context. So I found the longer clip to show that it being in context. And I want to reassure you that this is completely in context. Uh, the guy does speeches talking about the myth of free will. If you read his books, there's entire parts of chapters dedicated to the idea of free will just being a myth and not real. Like that is his true beliefs. All right. 
that's not that's not a straw man or anything like that. So the idea of hackable humans and that, uh, you know, if you just collect enough information on somebody that you can know them better than they know themselves. And this kind of ties into all the big tech stuff, all the data collection. Uh, Every time you go on Google, uh, everything you post on Facebook, your search results, anything like that. All of this data kind of feeds into the system where they theoretically, you know, the people that own that data can kind of comb through it know you better than you know themselves. And that kind of gets into the idea of what he refers to as hackable humans. So to collect the data based on your past behaviors, we can anticipate your next steps. We can anticipate your wants and desires. We can anticipate your reactions to future things, perspectives, anything, because they know you better than you know yourselves. According to Yuval Harari, humans, along with any other living things, from a single-celled organism all the way up to Albert Einstein, are nothing more than complex algorithms. And he, what he means by that is that algorithms that will perform tasks or take actions or even conjure up thoughts based not on some internal spirit or free will or anything like that, but just based on your collective being composed of your genetics, your environment, and any past interactions or inputs that you've ever come across. And this idea, and again, it's not a straw man. This is a cornerstone of this guy's worldview is ideology. This idea carries with it major implications for the people's uh, worldviews that hold this belief. So number one, it reduces any accomplishment of any individual to simply the inevitable result of an algorithm that is put in that situation. So Jeff Bezos building Amazon is no more impressive than a calculator coming up with the answer four when you type two plus two and hit equals. It's just the end result of an algorithm. This then completely diminishes the claim of any individual to the fruits of their own labor. You're not an individual. You're just a cog in a collective machine. You're just a part of the algorithm. Number two, the qualities that are not beneficial to society are also not the fault of the people that exhibit those qualities. A drug addict is just an algorithm that has been programmed through a lifetime of environmental stimuli that results in a person predisposed to drug use. Again, this is their actual worldview. A racist is just an algorithm that has been programmed through a lifetime of environmental stimuli that results in a racist worldview. So just imagine a person... Uh, that is only exposed to news stories that are wildly disproportionate in terms of reporting on crimes by Lithuanians. That person might be predisposed to being a racist against Lithuanians. And now considering you and your actions and even your beliefs uh, are, are known to just be the results of your genetics and your environment and the stimuli that you're subject to on a daily basis... Uh, We can now anticipate the stimuli that can get you acting in a way that is beneficial to society. So perhaps if we have that racist against Lithuanian guy and we just show him news stories highlighting, I don't know, charitable work of some famous Lithuanian guy or a puff piece about some local Lithuanian diner, maybe we can make him less racist. See, you could be if you're programmed one way, you could be programmed to go in a different way. So theoretically, with the correct stimuli, you can get an entire population to act in ways that you want, ways that benefit society, or ways that fit your agenda. And just to be clear, I am not making any of this up. 
This is very verifiable. You could read Yuval Harari's books. You could find the talks where he, where he, the speeches where he talks about all of this stuff. He talks about it in his book Sapiens a little bit, I think, and definitely he talks about it in Homo Deus for sure. Uh, Chris and I both read that book. Also, this is the sort of thing that's reflected in the work of the World Economic Forum itself. So it's not just the, the crazy beliefs of this philosopher historian guy. It bleeds into the work of the World Economic Forum, and we know how influential they are. In their 2019 Global Risk Report, there's a section about how artificial intelligence and machine learning could be used to, quote, identify emotionally receptive individuals and the specific triggers that might push them towards violence. They warned that, quote, oppressive governments could deploy effective computing to exert control or whip up angry divisions. So they are essentially warning about how echo chambers, fake news, and the curation of information can be weaponized to control somebody's actions. This is literally in their global risks report. So this is where the concept kind of shapes their worldview. Humanity is just a complex collection of algorithms we uh, uh, we just have to provide the proper operations manual to make sure that it functions to our liking. Not an operator uh, operator's guide, uh, you know, written by natural law or reason or morality. Instead, a centralized operator's guide written by and defined by the agenda of the rule makers themselves. So the print like this is the principle that provides the backbone to ideas like social credit scoring to judge citizens. This is what uh, uh, provides the, the, the backbone to ideas like ESG metrics to judge corporations. It's also the worldview that remo removes the responsibility for the consequences of actions of criminals. It's the rationale that supports overly lax justice systems, no bail, lack of uh, uh, prosecution. It's the worldview that runs completely counter to the system on which Western civilization is built. And once you understand this and the implications of this concept, you could really start to understand how the minds of these Davos elite types think. So this is why that I'm doing Davos Watch. I tried to examine or expose an element of the Davos crowd and the wannabe central planners and the technocratic tyrants and all the power and influence uh, that they wield doesn't go unchallenged. But Chris, you've read Yuval Harari's books with me. You can back up what I'm saying is accurate uh, and that this is, in fact, his worldview. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I've read uh, all of Yuval Harari's books, and I'm pretty familiar with, you know, his thoughts on this topic. And uh, I, I think, you know, what this really uh, tells me is that Yuval Harari thinks that the vast majority of people are stupid and make bad decisions that are counterproductive to their own, uh, you know, to their own lives. But you know what? Yuval Harari does not have the knowledge to know that. So he, there's no way he can know that. And when he talks about, oh, when you go to the grocery store, you know, people make these decisions, but they're really not making those decisions. Actually, yes, they are. You know, now he might not agree with those decisions. He might not agree with everyone's life decisions. We know what kind of car they buy or whatever. But those are their decisions. And that is free will. And free will is the basis of, you know, humanity. And it is really, really scary stuff to think that this guy is pushing for a a, uh, a way of trying to manipulate people's, you know, choices 
through a, you know, AI program and an algorithm and all this kind of stuff. But if you read his books, that's what he, that's what he is calling for because he says that human beings, I mean, Donnie, you've, you, you've read the book. He says human beings are akin to pigs and they just make the, you know, they, they make decisions, you know, not based on their own best interests, but just based on, you know, whatever, like the, the electrical signal in their brain is telling them to do at that exact point in time. I reject that personally. Donnie, I told you I reject that many, many times because every time you make a decision, you're weighing, you know, countless other options. And for whatever reason, when you come to your decision, you know, that's the decision you come to. And sometimes we make poor decisions, but that's a very good thing because you learn so much from making poor decisions. And I would not want to live in some side some kind of like sterile world where everyone is making decisions based on some computer, you know, algorithm that is, you know, saying, well, we know what's best for you and for society. So you're going to do this. I would never want to live in a world like that. So, so let me just address uh, some comments by Christine here, who is a very loyal uh, viewer of the show here. Uh, She says he's talking about social engineering. Only he's saying in a stupid way that makes him sound like a monster. You've always warning us about this, not promoting it. Uh, Me and my sis watched the whole interview and our minds were blown away with the segment and how it was taken out of context. So, uh, and there's a couple more things. I just want to address this. So it is 100% the fact that he does not believe in free will. He is very, very clear about that. He is very clear about no free will. That's a myth. And the idea that the soul, the idea of the soul and everything that has to do with kind of the religious kind of uh, idea of there being like an individual person's soul and all of that. He thinks that's a complete myth too. Where you are completely right is that all of the things that he references in connection to these realities as he presents them are warnings. He does warn about, and that's why I said the global risks thing, right? Like that is a warning. That's not like a playbook of what they want to do, as far as I know. But that's a warning that this type of technology could be used to kind of manipulate people and all of that. He also warns very uh, specifically about the idea of digital dictatorships and how this type of information, and if it's used by nefarious governments or corporations and all of that, could be used to basically usher out some new 21st century form of uh, technological tyranny. He does say that all as a warning, but it is definitely a part of this idea that this is their their background belief structure on which some of these things are built. Uh, the idea of an ESG thing or a social credit score to try to like uh, uh, manipulate society in a direction, that is not a thing that decentralized people that believe in free will and kind of a, like a, a decentralized morality structure, they, they don't come up with stuff like that. So the idea that their beliefs are pinned with these ideas that there is no such thing as free will, that's where all of this stems from. So he, I, I want to be but, very, very clear about that. But but he, but he's also doing what dictators of the past have done, whether it's Stalin or Hitler or Mao or whomever, where they're trying to mold the population in the direction that they wanted to go in. And, you know, back in the old days, the primitive ways of doing that, you know, propaganda posters, you know, uh, radios blaring, you know, certain messaging. If uh, Yuval Harari is correct in the fact that we are on the cusp of uh, being able to administer this through some sort of computer chip, and when it's, which messes with your brain signals and forces you to make decisions that they deem are best for either you or for the collective, 
th- that is, you know, totalitarianism in its, you know, worst aspect. So that that's where the the, the technological advancements yeah, and I, their willingness to want to use them for these, you know, means is what scares us, the, you know, scares me because I think that many people are going to say, well, maybe that's actually a good thing. Maybe then I won't make, you know, the decision to, you know, eat unhealthy food or to, you know, whatever to, you know, abuse alcohol because this, this, this thing will just prevent me from doing it. Yeah. And I want, I want Jim's input on this, but I also want to just reiterate one point that I made in last week's Davos watch, which is like, I can agree with all of the different problems that the world economic forum is pointing out in terms of the, the potential threats of this sort of technology or artificial intelligence or the disruptive nature of any of this fourth industrial revolution technology that's coming our way. It's the solutions that they kind of put in, in as like their, uh, you know, uh, the ideas, I should say, their proposals that they put in as the solutions to these problems that I agree with, I completely disagree with. That's the embedding ESG into the foundations of this technology. That's trying to put their their morality into the foundations of this technology. That's where I see it as like, okay, we're definitely not on the same page there. But yeah, some of the problems that they highlight, they do highlight them as problems. I do want to be very clear about that. But Jim, thoughts about... Uh, my little kind of segment here and the, the clip from good old Yuval Harari. Yeah. I mean, when I saw the clip this morning, um, I said it was bleeping scary. Uh, you know, the idea, apparently it seems that the idea of hacking human beings is inevitable um, and you'll be able to manipulate them. And, uh, you know, I appreciate Christine's uh, input here. She's saying that, you know, that you need to watch the full interview and I, and I will, I will do that. And that, you know, he was Yuval Harari was this was issuing this as a warning. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more humanity and some passion in his voice to, to make it clear that it's a warning because he seems to be explaining all of these ideas as if they are inevitabilities and that it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, you know, a, a warning means you should be saying all the time, we need to put a stop to this. This cannot happen. You have to say things like that. You don't just explain that, you know, well, you know, humans, the hacking of human beings brains is inevitable and uh um, you know, that's just the way it's going to be. It doesn't have to be that way. The future is not certain. But uh, I actually I almost chuckled when he said that when this happens, right? So when you're able to hack human beings, um, we need to reimagine democracy uh, for a new era. If, <laughs> if we are all mind controlled robots or, or if this is ha- if this is happening, that doesn't happen in a democracy, does it? I mean, that's that's the ultimate totalitarianism is mm-hmm. kind of dystopian future is what he is describing. Um, but you know, as, as you pointed out, Donnie and, and Chris, cause you've read, you've read, uh, his books, you know, he doesn't believe in, in humans having a soul and that there is a uh, free will. We're basically just meat puppets, I suppose. And, uh, maybe it'll be an improvement if we're, um, wired and, uh, and part cyborg or something, because that would be an advancement to maybe lift ourselves above being just meat puppets. I suppose with some technology, we have some more value. I don't know. Um, but you know, I just just again that that spoonful of sugar he provides by saying this development means we need to reimagine democracy. I mean, as I said, it's it, that's it's hard to think of a society that is more of an ultimate tyranny than the future that he subscri- that he is describing, and it apparently is. You know, maybe just right around the corner. Um, I, I think even some of the best um, size sci-fi dystopian fiction has not even really imagined the future, the near future that Yuval Harari thinks is, is, is coming and doesn't, maybe, maybe he doesn't think we can stop it. Maybe he, maybe he thinks it's a good thing. I don't know. Um, he seems to believe that we can't stop it or we maybe shouldn't even try to stop it. I mean, um, I don't know, but, um, this kind of thinking 
um, th these kinds of big thinkers, and we see them all over the place in the WEF. Um, I, I ultimately they believe that human beings as individuals are utterly worthless. Um, it's humanity and society in the abstract that really drives and fascinates them and, and their discussions and their thinking. Uh, and it's always to achieve the greater good. Achieving the greater good is noble, but individual human beings living out their lives as they see fit is ignoble. And it's wrong because it does prevent the achievement of the greater good if individuals are allowed to have autonomy and freedom and free will, and if they're recognized as having a soul. And, and it's this kind of thinking um, is why Jane Goodall, everybody admires Jane Goodall, the, uh, you know, the, the chimp or the, uh, the gorilla. I can't remember if she's the gorillas in the mist or if she's a chimpanzee lady. I don't know. <laughs> it has to do with primates though. And, um, you know, she can just sit there on stage and calmly say in a pleasant voice in front of thousands of people that for the greater good of the planet, it would be best if 90% of humans were no longer on this earth and neither the interviewer nor anybody in the audience even bats an eye, let alone titters that, hey, that 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 sounds very bad. That sounds very dystopian. You know, uh, that that's the kind of, those are the kind of big thinkers that show up at WEF, WEF um, confabs who show up at Davos, which is why we call this Davos Watch. And they have graduates of this kind of big thinking university, as it were, at WEF in positions of power in Western democracies all over the world. And um, that's really the warning here. So wh whether you're taking, whether some of these clips are, are are necessarily unfair to Yuval Harari's maybe larger point in an interview, um, you know, you can't, we can't sit here and play an hour and a half long interview, but whether or not he, that is taken out of context is almost really at this point irrelevant because it is that, it is that WEF mindset that has no value whatsoever for the individual. And again, sees an individual with free will living their life as they want to live it as an impediment to the progress of the greater good. And um, that's where it comes to a head because one side is going to win that uh, argument. You can't both exist. We can't advance the greater good and allow people to do what they wish and to treat people as, as uh, individual human beings with a soul and with free will, being both responsible for their choices, but also not imposed upon by the greater good to take away their choices. That's really the, the, the eternal struggle of man at this point. And what's amazing is that I think in the technological age, we're able to see and witness these things happening as they happen, instead of, frankly, them being uh, conspired behind closed doors. Yeah, see, when I was reading through all of this, because I did a huge deep dive, I li literally read his books, I watched his speeches, he's got a ton of speeches at World Economic Forum and all of this stuff. So I'm very, very familiar with Yuval Harari and kind of where he stands on all of this stuff. But to me, just this concept, it's it underpins the 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 kind of that worldview that brought to us the eugenics movements it's the things that brought to us the the idea of trying to cultivate the new soviet man or any of these kind of collectivist ventures into trying to change the will of man so that it comports with the collectivist way you know socialism communism whatever uh, uh, way that the the leaders of those times were trying to kind of construct their society this is yeah, just the like the forward 21st century technocratic version of that and not that he's advocating for that again I, I want to be very clear about that in fact when you watch his stuff he's more warning about it than anything 
but it still shows that that is the the mindset that these people are operating under. So if somebody shows that society is just an advanced algorithm that's programmed uh, and that's why it's acting that way, then the person that's sitting there, a wannabe central planner type, thinks, okay, well, I'll just change the algorithm a little bit. I'll just program it in the way that I want so that it carries out the agenda that I want. So that, that's why I'm pointing out you know, Yuval Harari. He's the one that's setting up this kind of worldview and it's the people, the, the the leaders at Davos, World Economic Forum, that are taking that setup and running with it. So that that's that's kind of my main point. But but here, here's a question for both of you. I mean, Harari is in the World Economic Forum. He's a bigwig in the WEF. He could isn't he? Isn't that in, um, by definition you're in a position to stop this from happening? To talk yeah, about Donnie, this not Donnie, happening Donnie, as, I, as I, an I, official I, proposal? I, I sort of disagree with with that assessment. I'm more in alignment with Jim on this one. Because I think that he's providing the intellectual framework for them to achieve this. Oh, and yeah. uh, one of the things that stood out to me in that brief clip that you showed was when he talks about when you go into the voting booth, you don't actually like basically know what you're doing. What is he talking about? That's us. That's us, you know, give, voicing our, you know, our what we want, you know, in terms of how we want to be governed. And I think really what he means by that, if you read between the lines is. You're too stupid to understand the best kind of government. So therefore, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to put this, you know, computer program into your brain and it's, it's going to, you know, enlighten you as to how, you know, the, the government should be run and how you and how you should live your life. I reject that in full. Yeah, no, I, I dude, I could talk about this for literally hours, but there's a section of his book, you know, this as well, where he's talking about how Facebook just based on the information that Facebook collects on you and the things that you like and the things that you comment on the things that you share mm -hmm. that it knows whether you're voting on the left whether you're voting on the right whether or not you're kind of in the middle and not only that uh um but it can know that like what things could push that person in the middle to vote more on the left or vote more on the right so but he's pointing this out as kind of like a warning as saying like all oh, these corporations based on the the idea that they know you better than you know themselves that they're uh wielding a type of control over society that has basically never been seen before but like i just imagine world economic forum people sitting there and being like oh yeah we could use but, that but, to our but Donnie, but just just real quick i know we're about to go but but he's saying that that it can be a good thing if it's used properly and i'm saying that it should not be used at all because it's it's extremely uh, tyrannical and, it, and it, it, it it's messing with people's decision-making abilities which is what make us humans yeah I, it's it's a it's a wild concept the, the, I'm fact telling that you he, that... the fact that he rejects free will and thinks that we're all just you know like these you know chickens running around with their heads cut off just doing random things is is insulting it's it's a wild thing but like i said it is the it is a core foundational aspect of these people's worldviews so tune in to more episodes of davos watch where we're going to expose even more crazy aspects of these wannabe central planners and technocratic uh, tyrants and all of that. But that's going to do it for this episode of In the Tank podcast. I want to thank you all for joining us. Tune in every week for a new episode. For those audio-only listeners that are catching the show, probably on a Friday or later, leave a review for us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. But you could also join us live a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are streaming on Facebook and Rumble and YouTube and Twitter. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your questions 
uh, comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. You could also help us out by just hitting that like button. Subscribe if you haven't already. Sharing this content, leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms and prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on X, at Heartland Inst on X. Always visit heartland.org and happy Thanksgiving. Fantastic. And Chris Telgo, uh, what do you have to pitch today? Well, Heartland.org, but, you know, next week's a very important holiday in my book. I think Thanksgiving really does get the short end of it these days. Wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I have a question for Jim after you wrap up. Sure. <laughs> Because, you know, when I've, when I've been going into the stores recently, whether it's Walmart or Home Depot or wherever, for the past three weeks, they've had Christmas displays oh, everywhere. Yeah. And I am a firm advocate that we should not even think about Christmas until after Thanksgiving. I would <laughs> I, not. So I've i really, been wondering about putting up my tree. I might uh, might do that this weekend. We'll see. But Jim, what are we doing for next week? Are we doing an episode? It's Thanksgiving, I know. But are we going to do something early? Are we skipping the week? Uh, what are we doing? We're skipping the week. We're going to we'll probably play a best of uh, maybe a clip or so, show or, or something. I don't know. Depends on how much time Andy has on his hands. Super, Whoa, what was that? Andy to do a clip show. I don't know. There was some libel on the screen accusing me of being a Pence guy. I don't know if I like that. But uh, all right, folks, thank you all so much for tuning in. We will talk to you. I don't know. Maybe not next week. Maybe two weeks. We'll see. So long, everyone. Have a great thing. He's a lion dog-faced pony soldier. He's a lion dog-faced pony 